Hello, 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 and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. This program is produced on Gadigal country of the Eora Nation at the studios of 2SER in Sydney, produced in association with the UTS Business School and broadcast all the way across the country on the Community Radio Network. Well, it did seem like Think Business Futures would go on forever, but unfortunately, this week will be our last episode for the year. But it isn't all doom and gloom, because this week we bring you a very special guest. How many clubs, pubs or restaurants have you signed into over the last few weeks using a QR code on your phone? It's become the go-to method for digitally tracing outbreaks and hotspots of COVID-19 in New South Wales, as well as other countries like Singapore. Already, around 2.2 million New South Wales residents have the Service New South Wales app on their smartphone. That's up from 1.7 million last month, while another 5 million have a My Service New South Wales account. But how exactly does one run an operation of this magnitude? And more importantly, how does the data of millions of private citizens stay private? Joining the program today is New South Wales Minister for Customer Service, the Honourable Victor Dominello. Under your portfolio, it has some would argue, the unenviable task of orchestrating a system of tracing COVID-19 with as close to 100% efficacy as possible. It's a remarkable use of technology, particularly given that any large-scale rollout in any other political situation would inevitably suffer teething problems. And it seems like this level of do-or-die policymaking at a time like this has put the public service and, and your ministry into an overdrive I think they've risen to the occasion. Traditionally, government is seen as uh, slow, cumbersome, not very agile. But in a pandemic, you can't have those characteristics. We don't have the luxury of being able to sit down and watch things occur. The virus moves fast and we have to respond fast. So whether it's making sure that we had the border passes down on the um, Murray when Victoria had the second wave, we had to put the border passes up. We had to do it digitally. We got the call on Monday morning uh, from the Premier. We had a digital product up in market by Tuesday night. Now, it wasn't perfect, but you know, we quickly iterated around it to make sure that uh, we, we got it working really well. But that's an example of how fast and how uh, how agile we had to be. And it's not just that, there were a whole lot of other products and services that we had to quickly develop to respond to the pandemic. And as you've already alluded to, there is a general sort of assumption about government, an historic assumption about government, that things do take time, particularly when it comes to the public service. A lot of people assume that there are going to be an endless number of hoops in order for public servants to get anything done. Now, obviously, those hoops simply couldn't be jumped through at a time like this because it was so time sensitive. A lot of these mechanisms were completely thrown out the window. Now that the public have seen how quickly the public service can actually respond to threats and can develop technologies and apps that allow all of us to interact effectively with the public service. Do you think that it's a sign uh, going forward that maybe that historic understanding of the public service being slow and cumbersome is very much a thing of the past? Oh, that's my firm view. Somebody asked me recently, how do you compare yourself, uh, which state or territory 
do you compare yourself with? And I said, well, actually, I don't. Uh, you know, we're already the digital leader in Australia by a long shot. What we need to do is start comparing ourselves with um, service providers such as Uber or Netflix or, you know, Google, in the sense that, you know, people of our state are already accustomed to getting good service delivery through digital channels. Again, if you want to order food uh, and it delivered to your door within a matter of minutes and you can see how the food's being delivered, that exists right now. And it's incongruous that you get that level of digital innovation uh, in the private sector, yet in the public sector, you're still filling out paper and, and forms. So people's expectations of service delivery uh, has increased significantly, and it's for government to make sure that we meet those higher standards. And obviously a comparison to private sector tech oligopolies like Facebook and Google does raise a, a very obvious question and one that the public are constantly worried about, and that is obviously the protection of private data. The systems that have been in place across most of the world have been centralised data systems. We were looking at Singapore's Trace Together app, uh, which shares a lot of similarities with the New South Wales system. And one of the big concerns across any centralised data collection system is a breach of privacy. In the private sector, that is in itself an entire debate, particularly with Facebook and Google, the retention of data on individuals and the ability for that data to be used nefariously. Obviously, Cambridge Analytica is a great example of that. How do you reconcile the need to not only protect data as an organisation, but also as the government of the state, you have a, a greater duty of care to people to ensure that their data is protected? Well, privacy is um, just a non-negotiable because the big difference between democracies and autocracies is privacy. You know, if we were in China, they would have scant regard to your privacy settings, but that's because it's an autocracy. But in a democracy, it's probably one of the most important, valuable things that we have, and we have to bake that into our design. So there are a whole lot of privacy mechanisms and oversights uh, that exist here in New South Wales and indeed in most good democracies that are put in place to protect citizens' privacy. So, for example, uh, you have the Privacy Act, you have the Privacy Commissioner, uh, both the Privacy Commissioner, uh, Information Commissioner, Auditor General, there's all these oversight bodies that are there to make sure that, um, that, that privacy is protected. And in the event that there is a breach, uh, that, that breach is brought to light and action is taken. Now, there is much more visibility around privacy protection inside a government than there is in the private sector, as you outlined, in relation to the Googles and the Facebooks and the like. But we have a higher, a higher duty, a higher burden, if you will, to make sure that that privacy is enshrined. And, and the way to do it is uh, to make sure that the privacy is baked into the design architecture. So, for example, in relation to the QR codes, if you go to a QR code operated by the private sector and you check in to a pub or a club or a cafe or whatever, and it's operated by the private sector, if it's under a certain threshold, there is 
just very little privacy controls at all. Your data is going to the venue. Uh, that venue can use that data for pretty much whatever they like. Whereas if you're using the Service New South Wales QR code, because we had the privacy commissioner be involved in the design process, it means every 28 days that data is destroyed. The only people that can access the data are people for health and only for the purposes of contact tracing. So again, privacy goes to trust. And if you break the trust, then people won't use the product. In Australia, uh, we do glorify the criminal. We glorify those marginalised by the law, Ned Kelly and the like. And there is somewhat of an Australian characteristic of turning our nose at officials or authority, uh, which I can imagine makes governing difficult sometimes. Do you think it's particularly interesting how so many New South Welshmen have taken up the app in the face of protests in Victoria against lockdowns that were heavily publicised in the media, undercurrents of frustration across all states regarding not only just lockdowns, but also a to many people, a prying eye of the government into how we go about our daily lives. Do you think it's been quite interesting from your perspective in government to see how readily accepted this app was? Oh, look, I think it's it's been reassuring that we're on the right path. And it's not like it's a path that we've just started in, in the years of the pandemic. We created Service New South Wales seven years ago. We rolled out the digital driver's licence a number of years ago now, and uh, now we have over 2 million people in New South Wales with a digital driver's licence you know, in their phone, uh, with more digital products and services constantly being rolled out. So uh, we've demonstrated here that if you can deliver a good service, like in Singapore, the, Singapore, the Singaporean government is very focused on service delivery, and they use a lot of technology uh, to implement that. And I think trust goes to service in the sense that if you get a bad service or a bad experience, then you don't trust the service, you don't trust the people that have done it. But if if you've got good product, good service delivery, then that goes to trust. So we've been building that up over the years through Service New South Wales, whether it's the digital driver's license, whether it's creative kids or active kids, all the digital platforms we're rolling out. We ask for feedback. We're very agile in the way we we uh, uh, we redesign products to meet um, the people. And the other thing is, Sydney is a Sydney, New South Wales, very sophisticated in terms of the world stage. Like we're not some backwater. You know, we are very early adopters of technology. So it doesn't surprise me at all that in a in a sophisticated uh, place like Sydney, New South Wales that we have a hungry audience for technology. So I was pleasantly surprised to see uh, the adoption uh, and moreover the feedback. So for example, in relation to the check-in feature, we're seeing thumbs up scores of around the 95%. Same with digital driver's license. So these are, we're not talking scores of 70% or even 60%, we're talking 95%. And that's uh, it's very uh, heartening to see. Mm. And I recently saw around 2.2 million 
New South Wales residents now have the Surface New South Wales app on their smartphone, and that's up from one point that's correct. 1.7 million last month. So it's a very big jump in a very small time frame. And obviously, as we've been mentioning over the conversation, time frames as we used to know them have been thrown out the window. There's been big adoption for this service app. Do you think that there is potentially a vacuum in the market for the public service to take a better slice of the pie, given that trust in private tech companies has been consistently eroded over the last few years, particularly, as we've already mentioned, with Facebook and Google. Is there more of a chance for the public service to have a greater impact on the daily life of residents in New South Wales through these apps that have been shown to be trusted and liked by their users? Do you think that potentially there's a chance to, in many ways, revolutionise the way that governments interact with their electorates? Uh, look, there's always going to be a healthy tension between what is just for the private sector, what is just for the public sector and, you know, and, and the grey in between. Um, and that evolves over time. So, for example, we introduced Park and Pay, a single app that uh, enables you to find car parking spaces around New South Wales. Now, we're, we've rolled it out in relation to the venues uh, that we own and operate, such as the Rocks and Darling Harbour, and we've encouraged other councils to come on board, such as Liverpool and Willoughby, because it, it's a terrible... Uh, experience if you if there's a hundred councils and as you're driving around Sydney uh, you had to download a hundred apps to find parking in each council area that's just a horrendous experience so that's an example of where the government can come in create an app that's that is designed around the citizen around the individual rather than you know trying to fit the individual into 60 different apps so that's an example where, you know, the government can play a role because you know, apparently about 30% of people moving around in the CCBD are those looking for car parking spaces. And that goes to a smart city, it goes to efficiency, it goes to productivity, it goes to just a better life experience. There are other things that we are doing, uh, whether it's all the various licences on your phone or the push notifications that you can get on your app. So this service app uh, that we're now rolling out uh, in relation to the uh, check-in feature is not just for your check-in feature. On that service app, you've got your digital driver's license. On that service app, we're going to be putting in the, the vouchers, the dine and discover vouchers. Everyone's going to get uh, four lots of $25 vouchers to help stimulate the economy. So it's going to be that single you know, touch point for the citizen to go through and interface with government on a, on a wide variety of things, not just check in. And having said that, even beyond the pandemic, yeah, do we really expect people to go back to pen and paper, going, going to a school environment or go to a secure building environment and write down in pen and paper your details? No, you would use a check-in feature, a QR check-in feature or something equivalent in the future. And again, if it's a government building, uh, you can use your service one because that, that's your one-stop shop. Is that a particularly exciting proposition for you as a minister to look at the fact that even today the restrictions are being rolled back? Correct. And it does seem like a lot of the urgency that we did have early on has paid dividends. 
when you look at how far the public service has come in terms of developing these apps and this interaction with the public, are there going to be big sort of retractions in in a lot of this infrastructure or will the infrastructure remain in place and just be found a new use? Well, of course, it has to be nuanced, so depending on on what the uh, field of endeavour is. But at the the heart, what is going to stay with us is the the culture change around speed and agility. Yeah, because we're going to be creating more and more new products and more and more new services around digital design and putting the people first, you know, making sure that we design around them rather than they, you know, evolve around us. Uh, and that's going to, and digital will have a big role in that. Uh, but it's, it's, the, it's your mindset, uh, it's the culture uh, that needs to uh, be baked in. And, and that's the thing that really will come out of this pandemic. Our ability to move much faster and move with, with a, a broader ambit before we would be very um, narrow in our focus, now we can be far bolder in our ambition uh, and we can be faster in its delivery because, to be honest, that's what people expect and deserve. Like, we live in, a, in a, one of the greatest countries on earth. We are seeing so much advance in terms of technology in, in parts of the world. We cannot be a laggard to this change. We can't be a passenger to this change. Uh, we're already leading... Australia uh, in in terms of our digital transformation here in New South Wales, we have an obligation, not just an opportunity, an obligation to make sure that we put, you know, keep the foot on the accelerator uh, so that if we keep delivering great services uh, for the people of our state, then hopefully other states will follow. Just have one more question. It's a little bit philosophical, but it's something that I myself have been wondering a lot over the last few months. What has COVID taught you about governing now that conventional partisan wrestling in the chambers has been practically rendered obsolete by the pandemic. And there seems to be across both sides of the chamber an understanding that everyone does have to come together in order to get the best result for New South Wales. And I can imagine being a government minister in an environment like that would be quite remarkable to not have the opposition constantly paying for blood because there's an understanding that everyone does have to come together to weather the storm. From your personal experience, have you found it particularly interesting now that essentially you're you're left to do what's best for your portfolio as opposed to also having to be concerned with what the opposition is saying? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Like, again, in a democracy, you need checks and balances and opposition provide that critical check and balance. Otherwise, uh, you, you quickly morph into a dictatorship. So it, it, you need that tension in place. But in a COVID or in a, in a pandemic uh, environment, I guess it's more conducive to people putting away the pantomime because there's a lot of uh, opposition and a lot of rhetoric uh, that's just there to grab a headline. So, you know, people realise these are serious times. We, we're just not after a cheap shot. Uh, we actually need to get to an outcome and therefore more constructive and fruitful dialogue takes place. Now, uh, that happens all the time. You just don't hear about it that much. So, for example, when I rolled out the Greenslip reforms, 
about uh, three years ago now, uh, which result, you know, historic performance hasn't been done for 20 odd years. I had the Greens, I had the Labor, the Shooters, everybody upstairs, you know, on the Kumbaya moment saying this is great reform. And that's because I brought them in early and said, we, I can't get this through the upper house unless I've got everybody on board. Uh, so that was an example of, of, you know, having that collective will. But again, in relation to the 24 hour economy, we did the same thing. Uh, you know, I worked closely with John Graham from Labor and Kate Fairman from the Greens. And as a result of that, we got a bill through parliament that's been pretty much unanimously supported. So. What what the pandemic has done is take away a lot of the noise uh, from opposition. When, and I'm not saying opposition. That, you know, you could have opposition from government to an opposition's proposal. You're getting rid of a whole lot of the noise and focusing on really the points that matter. And you know, I guess that that's democracy at its finest. Will the lessons learnt from the rollout of COVID safe and other apps like it change the way we interact with the public service? And could a trend that includes digital driver's licences and council parking availability become the port of call for all things bureaucratic in the future? If the minister makes one thing clear, it's that the public service have seen what can be done in the crucible of COVID-19 and are clearly very excited for what can be done once the shackles of a global pandemic have finally been cast aside. Well, that's it for today's show and this year's season of Think Business Futures. Check out our podcast feed for episodes on the future of trade with China, whether your super fund is paying enough tax, whether women's sport should be embracing gambling culture and what the world will look like during a Biden presidency. They're all available right now, so do take a listen. I've been your host, Max Tillman. Thanks for listening.